While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. where I'm always convinced there should be something I should there's always something I should be reading I should always like all the books I read here on Overdue <laughs> which is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read nice. uh, my name is Craig my name is Andrew and I'm convinced that there's always something I should be reading for this show or for my life or for whatever work I'm doing be it teaching or whatever I'm at the point where I can't read books unless they're for the show because oh, I, can't, I can't make time for like leisure books that i don't think i'll be able to talk about i've got workbooks to read like that's ugh. got like research to do and i can't do that on my leisure time because i gotta read books for this show you can't talk about your work books on the you can't no. talk about like the art of stagecraft or whatever no. on the show. well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna read i'm not gonna like talk to you about physics on the podcast i'd do such a bad job at that <laughs> well then are you really getting anything out of the books that you're reading is my well question. i mean maybe not <laughs> if i can't talk about it maybe i'm not digesting the information it's not it's not properly that that we do that anyway <laughs> no that's fair you could make it to the end of this podcast and have learned nothing about whatever book andrew read what you can you read you can actually have learned like negative you had you learned wrong stuff that you have to forget we, we stole <laughs> things that you did know from your brain and threw it away we put bad knowledge in there and it pushed some good knowledge out <laughs> what do you think is in your brain that you don't need, Andrew, before we get to the book that you are going to read oh, man, and like talk about. Every commercial I saw oh, between man. like 1992 and 2004. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good one. Like every stupid Milton Bradley jingle that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guess who? It's a mystery. Like the synopsis for all those Doug episodes. Like that's knowledge that I don't need anymore. Where do you draw the line at TV shows you, you want to have memorized? Because I know a lot of Seinfeld plots and I don't know if I should get rid of them or not. Seinfeld's fine. Like if it's if it's something that I can steal jokes from or like steal <laughs> steal a sense of humor from. Was I talking to you when I like knew way too much about one episode of Boy Meets World that it kind of weirded everyone in the room out? I don't know, you? but if I had been there I would have been weirded <laughs> out by that. Yeah, so I'm there's there's all sorts of baseball junk in my head I probably don't need. I like it there, but I don't need it. Yeah, like if my brain up real estate. My, if my brain was like a computer, there would be some yeah. stuff that I would like back up onto a hard drive and put into to put into the desk and just forget about it. What would you put on Dropbox? What I have like Dropbox? What? Like stuff yeah. I need all the time? Well, but that you could get it later when you didn't need to carry it around stuff that i put in dropbox is so important that i instantly need to be able to access it from anywhere <laughs> like so. anniversaries and birthdays and yeah and like books that i've read for this <laughs> podcast like okay. uh like pride and prejudice by jane austen hey i brought it back around <laughs> i was just gonna tell you too 
Okay, so we've covered Jane Austen before. We, we read. I read Persuasion, and I I think my takeaway from that was that I liked it in spite of some of its soap opera ness Sure. Um, which is pro- potentially unfair to the book, I'm sure. Uh, with a little extra thought, I could have dug into the social mores that were at play or well, under I, critique. I, I think that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's all over Pride and Prejudice too, and and a lot of her books were written in kind of a relatively short period of time, and they were all sort of of a genre to to a certain degree. I mean, that's probably not entirely true, but at least like. Like a persuasion and persuasion and pride and prejudice are both like really concerned with marriage and with men and women relating to one another and you know high society and stuff. Yeah, there was. Uh, I was reading uh, an article about the economics of Jane Austen and I how. I do want to talk about that because I think it's kind of ridiculous. Okay, um, it, it pointed out it's an Atlantic article by someone whose name I can't remember. Oh, man. Um, I'll try to tweet out the link. Uh, It was in the Atlantic this week. Um, And it was talking about how Adam Smith of, you know, Wealth of Nations and the Invisible Hand of Economics and all that wonderful stuff uh, was writing around the same time that Austin, you know, was born. So that she probably had read some of his stuff. And just that interplay between wealth and happiness is certainly on the mind of economic, economic, Economists? Wow. <laughs> economists. Uh, economists at the time, and it's certainly at play heavily in in the books of Austen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, Austen's like economic and societal background because it's pretty much the same background as the as the Bennett family in the book, who you know the actions of Pride and Prejudice kind of kind of um, orbit around. <laughs> So yeah, she had like a big old family. Is the, are the Bennets as big as Austin's family? Um, the Bennets are mom and dad, five daughters. Oh, okay. So, so not quite, not in the same economic stratosphere. But she was like Austin was like seven brothers or something, and man. then her and her sister, I think. That's a lot but, of people, but no, the the Bennets <laughs> have no sons. Okay, so I'm sure which that's which important. informs her mom a little bit, but I want. I, they are all members, like Austin's family and the Bennets, are all on the lower fringes of the landed gentry. Which yes, the landed gentry. Do you want to tell me what that means? It means that you are not a noble, technically, but you do own a certain amount of land and you have inherited some wealth. Yeah. And the the deal is basically you make enough off of the land that you own, whether by like renting it out or whatever that you don't actually need to to work. Oh yes, okay. To do a work a day job. And and there's one sentence in this book that really that sums it up pretty well for me. Great. Is they're talking about um um Elizabeth Elizabeth Bennett is the name of the main character. They're talking about Elizabeth's uncle and um it says that the ladies would have had difficulty in believing that a man who lived by trade and within view of his own warehouses could have been so well-bred and agreeable. So oh. a guy who actually works for a living, like it's a surprise that he's not some like illiterate savage. I guess. Yeah. Oh man. Nice, nice going caveman. What do you go to work every day? Yeah, good job. Have a good day at work. <laughs> Idiot. I'm going to be here talking with my sister about dances. 
the whole time. Did you see Cro-Magnon Steve learn how to tie his tie and show up to the ball? Good job, Man, Steve. Can't believe it. I'm not even going to talk to him. And if I was going to talk to him, it would be all veiled barbs about how he has to do a job. <laughs> Well, this is at the this is at the like dawn of the industrial revolution, right? So, like, the idea that a whole class of people that could make money off of work and not just like work for people who had money mm-hmm. is sort of new. Yeah, right. You would work on other people's land, and then you would earn a wage, and then you would you know not die of starvation, probably <laughs> <and> exposure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but the idea that you could like learn a trade and move up in the world with that trade is, is still relative. Yeah, the idea of a middle class at all is still kind of forming. And the landed gentry are, I wouldn't call them middle class. I'd probably call them like lower upper class. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, but yeah, so, so their family, uh, the Bennets live at the lower end of the economic spectrum and because they have nothing but daughters and because women don't really have like property rights and don't really get to inherit stuff Mm -hmm. um like their mom's sole purpose in life is to see them all married off to to various gentlemen in a slightly higher like a slightly better place financially so that's 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 something you should know (laughs) Okay, so those are the, those are most of the ladies' main goals. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. I mean, they are they are very preoccupied <laughs> by it. Um, but let's I guess let's step back to Austin for a little bit. So we we know a, bit, a little bit about the circumstances in which she lived. Um, she uh, was only 41 when she died. She lived from 1775 to 1817, and she died of a wasting illness that we are not really sure what it is. Some people say Addison's disease. Some people say Hodgkin's lymphoma. Some people say bovine tuberculosis, which, which I think just is, sounds like the worst. Yeah. You get anything it from drinking would, unpasteurized milk. Anything that starts with bovine just sounds like you got a raw deal. Yeah. You got a cow disease. Oh, no thanks. With the no indignity thanks, of it cow all. Cow disease. <laughs> Um, she herself never got married. She received one proposal of marriage in 1802. And I'm just going to read what, what, uh, Wikipedia says about her potential suitor. Great. Um, He was a large, plain looking man who spoke little, stuttered when he did speak, was aggressive in conversation and almost completely tactless. Oh, good. So marry him. Yeah. She accepted. And then the next day decided, nah, (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. I'm not, I'm into, oh, I'm not into you. Nope. I mean, I, later, I thought that I could stick it out, but oh, yeah, I'm good. Then you opened your mouth and I was like, I'm not interested. No, thank you. And she only published the six books, right? There there were other stuff that she wrote, but really we only have the six novels. Yeah, there were, there were some earlier works and... um. But yeah, we have the six novels. So the four published when she was alive, uh, Sense and Sensibility, uh, which was 1811, Pride and Prejudice in 1813, Mansfield Park in 1814, and Emma in 1815. And then um, I believe her niece and nephew published the remaining stuff. Um, it was, what? what's the, how do you pronounce North, North thing? Northinger Abbey? Northinger Abbey and Persuasion were both published posthumously. And... Um, there was another novel she was working on that she died before she finished. So 
Yeah, and it seems like she wrote a couple different things and then either tossed them away or turned them into the books that we have now. She revised stuff really heavily, yeah. Yeah. So um, Pride and Prejudice was published in 1813, but she wrote it and revised it through like 1811 and 1812. So she took a little bit of took a little bit of time with it. Well, and by that um, time she was living in Chawton, I think her family had moved like once again. Chawton. And her yeah, Chawton. <laughs> uh and her brother Edward had set her and her uh her mother and her sister and her up in like an estate where they could just kind of hang out. Mm-hmm. Um which was great because then she was able to kind of ease off some of her more uh, non-writerly duties in the house. Mm-hmm. seems like they were pretty well established so that now she could just kind of get up and, and do her thing every day. Yeah. Which is nice. She There's a lot of uh, Austin biography information about how much she hated Bath. <laughs> <laughs> which I remember being like a big plot point in Persuasion uh-huh. <laughs> is how terrible Bath is and how no one wants to go there. Uh, and it doesn't seem like anything that she wrote while she was at Bath like made it out and got published because <laughs> she's so uninspired by that terrible place. Uh, so it seems like Chawton was the place. If you need if you need Chawton. to get your novel going, well, you should move to Chawton. <laughs> it's my take on things. Oh, um, I was I got the... Pride and Prejudice dates a little off. Jeez. She, she started work on it in 1796. Whoa. And it was originally called First Impressions, which I don't think it's as good of a name. I think it it, <laughs> it better conveys what happens in the book, but I don't I don't think it's as good of a name as Pride and Prejudice. I wonder if she could have kept with the blank and blank the whole way through. Yeah, I mean, there are theories that that was a publisher-induced thing. Like, she released Sense and Sensibility. It was a success. And so the publishers were like, "Okay, same author. Let's let's keep going with the alliteration. Let's let's no. keep let's keep it rolling." Well, and she published some of it anonymously, though, right? Is that true? Initially, I'm not sure. Hmm. I I seem to recall that. I I know that she really took off after her nephew published that biography of her in like the 1860s or something like that. Um, it's called a memoir of Jane Austen. Oh, okay, yeah. Um. That was published in 1869, so well after she died. And yeah, they were published anonymously. Um, didn't get her a lot of recognition in her lifetime, but then, you know, by by the 1900s and and of course into now, where you have a whole subculture dedicated to loving Jane Austen. Like she's she's found her place in the in the literary canon. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying to decipher where she is like genre wise in the history of fiction and it gets really muddy cuz she's like post dickens and you hear all these words like sentimentalism and like an era of you know coming out of neoclassicalism and it's, i started to get a headache i think the genre is usually just called romance novels but it's not it's not what we would think of as a as a romance novel like it's not it's not like a guy with rippling muscles on the cover of a book at the end of the aisle in Walmart. Like <laughs> no, no Fabio on the cover. No, no Fabio. No, no Christian Grey with his painter jeans. Like none of that. No, no, no. Well, I think <laughs> I think the current 
fascination with her, uh, the like pop culture fascination with her, kind of comes out of the uh, romantic versions of the like like treatments in in film and stuff, right? Um, but I think she was actually a bit more of a social critic in her time, which is mm-hmm. what got her a lot of the initial attention. And I think the term Janeite. That is what the subculture you're talking about. And it's not like a rare mineral that you <laughs> that you dig out of a mine. Uh, was actually like coined and used by like upper class dudes who was who were interested in reading this intelligent woman's works and wanted to like separate their interests from the masses. Uh, and then it became more of a like Trekkie culture in the late 20th century. Mm hmm. Um, and I and I I say that recognizing that that's an overgeneralization, and having met a few Janeites, they are well aware that there are all sorts of reasons to be interested in Jane Austen. And yeah, like I, I think that Trekkie is useful as a shorthand because it is at once like descriptive, but also simultaneously dismissive. <laughs> yeah, how could I something guess? be yeah be so like wonderfully? Uh, you know, inclusive of all the people who might be interested in this thing and simultaneously like put up a barrier around it and say, get out if you are not interested in this thing and all of us are a little weird. Yeah, like, right. How does, like it's, it's... <laughs> how does <laughs> and, it manage to do all those things? Yeah, like a lot of people in these subcultures are totally aware of the good and bad things. Like I do enjoyed Star Trek as I as we got into a little bit last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and i'm like i'm happy to jump into a discussion about it and tell you why wrath of khan is the only one of the movies that is actually a good movie and not just a good star trek movie okay is that the one with the dolphins no it's the one with ricardo montalban and his pecs okay okay um okay but i am like I am about as ashamed as I think is appropriate by the fact that I know all this stuff about Star Trek. Yeah, that's fair. I, I understand that. I mean, one of the, one of the books about Janeites that I've been exposed to is this book from like a year or two ago by Deborah Yaffe called Among the Janeites. Now, Deborah Yaffe... <laughs> that makes it sound like... Um, geez, what was, the, what was the monkey lady's name? Um, oh. <laughs> Jane Goodall? It sounds like that. <laughs> I was thinking more it's like never been kissed like Drew Barrymore like <laughs> she's a reporter she goes in right she's got to pretend to be but Deborah Yaffe is a Janeite and she's self-professed as one but I think she just hadn't gone into the like J- you know Jane Austen convention circuit before right so even then there's like layers within fandom and of course we're talking about like kind of super involved fandom for a woman who's born like 300 years ago yeah right which is kind of impressive yeah she did she's a pretty good job pretty all right good job. you want to talk about this book i'm um, sure let's get let's get into the book do you want to know what the book's about because i think i can sum it up pretty quickly is it about pride and prejudice i mean there is some of that in there okay what how what what would you call this book I, pride and prejudice is a book about a bunch of people who eventually get married <laughs> to each other <laughs> 
it is like 300 and something pages long and and it does it dances around that for a while but that is eventually what happens i think we should make a more concerted effort on this show to really boil down every great work of uh literature into like into like one a tweet that is crappy a, sentence a, yeah. a little kind of like eh, yeah a bunch of people who end up getting married yeah okay who are the people and why do we care um so we talked about the bennett's a little um landed the, gentry yes yes yeah um there Cheerio. are there are seven bennett's and i guess five of them are of some consequence do you and mean the, the women well no 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 i actually mean the mom the dad and then okay. the three oldest girls and the, the two youngest girls are around and they kind of factor in a little bit to some stuff but they aren't really uh they aren't really uh movers and shakers in this book so <laughs> okay maybe in um, the sequel they'll get theirs yeah yeah pride and prejudice too yeah more pride and prejudice pride and prejudice <laughs> maybe okay yeah yeah, we'll 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 keep workshopping that one uh so there's elizabeth bennett who is the protagonist great and she's a bit of a spitfire and she's her she's her dad's favorite because she's kind of witty and kind of sarcastic and is not necessarily hung up on like the decorum that her position in society now but is she still into getting married yeah okay does she feel like she's being made to get married or does she like she really wants to she wants to get married i think but she wants to get married for um she wants to get married to somebody who she can like <laughs> like there's a there's um there's a cousin of hers who because of these arcane like inheritance laws of of the day this cousin being like the nearest male heir is the one who all their property and stuff will default to Mm-hmm. Once, uh, once Mr. Bennett passes away, okay, and so she's kind of being encouraged to get married to him, so she can, you know, she can retain some of that property and some of that money. But um, he's he's kind of a dud, and he's kind of self-aggrandizing, and he's just overly florid, and everybody thinks he's kind of silly, and that's a that silly is a descriptor we will come back to a lot. Oh, okay. Um, and she says, "No, I don't. I don't want to get married to you." And and he's like, "Well, you know, there are a lot of women who who say no once or even twice just because they like to be chased." And she's like, "No, really, I don't want to get don't want to get married to you." And she ends up saying something like, "You know, I can't if you see what I'm saying to you as encouragement. I can't imagine what I would have to say to you to to get you to stop asking me." Oh God. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so he eventually, he eventually backs off. He's a little, little offended, but um, everything ends up okay there in the end. Okay. Um. So Mr. Bennett is is the father of the family. He's he's a little absent in his do- like he likes books a lot. He doesn't <laughs> like his wife very much, so he is not actively involved involved in their affairs a whole lot. And um. You know, and he, he doesn't like he doesn't do anything, right? Because he just maintains his property. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't do like go thing. off and and go do business trips or something. No, 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 no. And okay. um, so like Elizabeth is his favorite, and for the first part of the book, she kind of gives him a pass on everything because they can look at 
Mrs. Bennett being an idiot or, or all the weird people at a ball and look at them and kind of snicker about it. But, um, have a good father daughter relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Look but but then, event- then yeah. eventually she kind of comes to resent his passivity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, we probably won't talk about that a whole lot more, but, but their relationship is a good one because they have a lot of good exchanges. Like, um, that guy who proposed to Elizabeth initially, his name is Mr. Collins. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mrs. Bennett says to Elizabeth, if you don't marry this guy, I will never talk to you again. Oh, no. And so she goes to Mr. Bennett to, to you know, ask his opinion and to, and to get him in her corner. And he, Mr. Bennett says to Elizabeth, today you're going to lose one parent because if you get married to this guy, I will never talk to you again. Oh, God. <laughs> What a good dad. Which is said, I mean, it's said partially in jest because he knows that Mrs. Bennett is going to get over it because she's just kind of a, she's kind of a busybody and a, um, she's a silly woman. She's a very, very silly woman. What do you, what do you think they mean when they say silly? They don't mean, oh, they don't, they, they actually say silly a couple times in the book, but silly is mostly my descriptor because she's just, I, I'll come back to it when I, when I, talk about the last bennett daughter okay who we're gonna talk about last bennett standing yeah um jane bennett is the oldest sister and she is she and elizabeth get along really well she is very nice to everybody and very well liked okay and um she there's a guy named mr bingley who she's kind of pursuing for a while and then they're separated name. by yeah part like the first fifth of this book was just me trying to get all the names straight yeah that's no i yeah i remember that um they're they are separated by something we'll talk about later and but then eventually they 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 like each other so much that they get married okay so that's good for them and then um the last bennett daughter who we're going to talk about is um is the youngest her name is lydia okay and um do we like her she's she's a little impulsive a little too flirty a little too oblivious, a little like dunderheaded, I guess. <laughs> so there's of this... all the words you were dancing around using, I don't know why dunderheaded was the one you were a little scared to whip out there at I the don't end. Know. Like I don't want to just call her an idiot, but she's she's another silly one, another silly oh, Bennett. <laughs> there's this guy named George Wickham who everybody likes initially, but then it becomes clear that he's kind of a shyster. Yeah, there's usually a shyster in every in every Austin book. Yeah, and so he's going after Elizabeth for a while, and Elizabeth's aunt um tells tells Elizabeth, you know, maybe maybe you know, back off, give it some time. If if he leaves and and you like feel this pull toward him, then maybe go for it. But you know, if if he leaves and and you don't really miss him, then don't worry about it. Okay. Because he seems very friendly and very like well mannered at first, but it comes to light that he's a shyster, and um, <laughs> so he and Lydia run off, but don't get married, and will only get married if the Bennett family will pay off all the debt that he is accrued. No, which is it's a lot of debt. No. So, so to get back to Mrs. Bennett, like she's the ultimate example, I think, of her silliness is that. Um, 
Wickham does this with Lydia and it's a big deal because nobody can find them for like two weeks. Okay. And then, you know, he ends up kind of extorting them. But once she finds out that she has a daughter who's getting married, she is over the moon about it. Oh. Like she cannot, she could not be more pleased to have a daughter who's getting married, even though it's this guy who sucks. And so when they're, well, trying and the- to, when they're trying to find them, it's not, you know, let's rescue Lydia from this decision she's made. It's let's make sure that they actually get married so we don't bring great shame upon our family. Well, and they're going to pay all his like bar tabs and stuff for yeah, like pretty like bar tabs gambling debts that kind of stuff oh and um you know eventually everybody's kind of onto his game and and he is not thought of as well anymore but well at what point in the book does that all get solved does that get solved at the end um is that, that like is, a this chapter concludes let's move on because lydia's dumb that's maybe like 70 or 80 percent of the way through the book it's right. um it's the biggest it's like the most intense conflict in the book which fair is fair enough yeah which is as a whole like very gradual and very um i guess character driven mm-hmm. i would say rather than plot driven because it just like most of the book is people moving around between various geographic locations like geographical locations so that they are either near or far away from certain characters, like as the plot calls for it. Well, but I think that was like a thing though, right? Like, yeah. Like, you know, whenever, when the only way to see anybody is a horse drawn carriage, like living 30 miles away from somebody, like maybe you'll see them once or twice a year, but that's it. Which is also why then when they are in town, you make a big to-do out of every day you make a big to-do out of everything you're like you gotta act fast because if there are two people who are of marrying age and they are not married and they hang out with each other enough and enough can be like a couple times then everybody them enough everybody starts talking about marriage yeah um i think the the first line i believe it's it's like today am i right jeez (laughs) We had dinner five times. Marry him. They wanted to marry him. <laughs> Heard you shared a cake together. Where are you, where are you getting this from? I don't know. <laughs> women, am I right? Am I right? I always want you to put a ring on it. No, I'm not even. Sorry, it's not women. even that. It's that like other lot, people. Like most of our audience is. It's, kind o- of it's other people ways, being so. like, everybody get married. Let's you know each other long enough. I think you're it. just like you're feeling the pressure because it's. It's peak wedding. Oh my like god! Among it our is circle total of friends, peak like wedding, the wedding wave is is cresting here, and like it's, the first oh. ripples of the baby wave are starting to form. Oh man, the baby wave! Like people who got married first are starting to have babies. Yep, that's true. They're they're and, on their way, Those and so like ain't stopping for no one. And so, like of our circle of friends, like either people are married, they're engaged to be married. Or they are nowhere close. Like, <laughs> you it's know, like there's a gulf between engaged and just hoping yeah. that you stick near someone that likes you. Yeah. And so you're in like, you're in that awkward middle where like, you're, you guys are doing great and you're living together and you're, you know, you are a good team and you go well together, but nobody's ready to talk about marriage yet. So like, so maybe, back maybe, off. maybe you're. <laughs> Maybe all this pressure will, you know, it, it'll be like, like science, like it'll, all this pressure will create a diamond, which you will then 
propose to your girlfriend with. Oh, is that where those come from? Yeah. It comes from peer pressure. <laughs> it comes from the it crucible of anxiety that society <laughs> creates around relationships. <laughs> Great. Don't get chocolate diamonds though. Those are, oh, those are those are those are garbage. And whoever like it was that is marketing mastery on the level of like chicken wings. Here, I put this dirt rock on a ring for you. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to forgive me for this dirt rock I want you to wear forever? Happy uh. happy birthday, babe. Here's a dirt rock. It, it looks like something from a cereal box, but you can't eat it. So don't. Um, Even yeah, though it's give, called give chocolate. Her, give her the gift of Cocoa Pebbles. <laughs> so the first, the first line of this book is... Um, <laughs> It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. That's that's like a real famous like, so, line. Yeah, if you if you want if you want to set the tone for something, like that's how you start it out. So any single man in this book who has money, yeah, he's on the hunt, he's on the prowl. Yeah, if he's around if he's around an eligible bachelorette, uh maybe they should get married. And then the last, the last person who you know looms very, very large in this book, who we have not talked about at all, is Mister Darcy. Who is yeah, we the, have not talked about who is the Mr. one Fitzwilliam Darcy. <laughs> Fitzwilliam. It's like can't decide between Fitzgerald and William. You know, just just cram slam them together. I think I like Fitzwilliam Darcy better than Fitzgerald Darcy. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Um, he's the male protagonist. Sure. Um, he is a wealthy man of marriageable age. So he's in want of a wife. Yeah. Great. And, Figured it um, out. But so he, the the book kind of starts off when Mr. Bingley comes to town and uh, Mrs. Bennett, and you can see why it took me a while to get all these names straight because it's yeah, all oh these, yeah. like, and sometimes the book, like when it's talking about Jane, it will just say Ms. Bennett. But since there are four others who could possibly be that, like it took a little, it took a little bit to get that that's what that meant all the time. Like that, the Ms. Honorific is given to the oldest daughter, unless it's like specifically made to be plural. Or it's like, it's like in Shakespeare when there's a character, a royal character who has a first name with a number after it, also has a family name. And is named after a place that he owns, like, <laughs> and they use Gloucester. them interchangeably yeah, based yeah. on like what the poetry wants, which is just the worst. Yeah, and um, there was another. What were we talking about? We were talking about Fitzwilliam. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> oh, and sometimes Jane will say Jane and Elizabeth will be talking, and Jane will say my mother instead of our mother, even though they have the same mother. So I like, do that sometimes. That's that's the kind of stuff that can get um can can make it a little confusing until you're like really into the language and you know who everybody's talking about all the time yeah i just want to make sure that characters who claim to be related actually are related and all that stuff yeah, yeah. so uh mr bingley throws this ball so, bingley's ball sign me up big ben bingley's ball bash <laughs> <laughs> big benley's biannual ball bash chuck bingley's rockin new year <laughs> bob bingley's <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Um, he has a ball. Uh, all the Bennett daughters and Mrs. Bennett, you know, attend. And um, 
Mr. Darcy is there and he and Bingley are, are good friends and Bingley will, you know, they are sort of inseparable, but Darcy seems like he's kind of looking down at it, looking down his nose at everybody like the Bennets in particular, because, you know, while Jane and Elizabeth are, well, while Jane is very well regarded and um, Elizabeth is generally well regarded mm-hmm. though her, you know, her uh, reputation for sarcasm and, um, and other things kind of, lowers her in the estimation of of some people like once instead of taking a carriage between two houses she walks like three miles and everybody's like oh did you see her petticoats are so dirty (laughs) from all that walking (laughs) did you see how flushed her face was from walking Man, this is taking forever for me to spit this out okay so they we're not gonna get through this book darcy is looking down his nose at everybody because he's too proud to be considering like marrying down you know cuz he's he's kind of toward the upper end of landed gentry how old is he at this point um they're all like 20 something all right i wasn't sure if he was like a little bit older i think he might be a little little older but not so much that it really comes not that comes it's like a play. thing yeah no so it's like a thing in emma i think he's a, a he's bit. a young man okay of marriageable age who is in want of a wife. Yes. <laughs> um, He's looking down his, his big Darcy nose at people. Yeah, and he and Elizabeth kind of get into a couple little uh, snippy spats. Spats with each other. Snippy and, spats. Um, and so that plus um, plus uh, Wickham, the, you know, the guy, the, well, what's the word? That the Wiccan? Wick Wickham, the like rapscallion, the shyster we were talking the, the about. The shyster. Earlier. You were yeah, look yeah. you were searching for the word shyster. Yep. Um so between those arguments and stuff that Wickham says about Darcy, when Elizabeth and everybody, you know, still believes Wickham to be to be, you know, a good dude. Okay. Um, sort of it prejudices her against him because she she begins to read like ill intent into everything that he's doing and you know to a certain degree it's it's true you know he is he is not a great conversationalist he has you know once he's formed an opinion of you and if it's a bad opinion like he is not in a hurry to change it oh uh, okay he doesn't suffer people he doesn't like gladly which is something i can kind of identify with i guess <laughs> how often are they afforded opportunities to talk alone like i imagine a lot of this is taking place in social situations where they have to kind of steal glances and and infer people like what they meant when they said that thing about petticoats. Yeah, or, I mean there there's a little bit of that, but within these social situations there are opportunities for men and women to be sort of alone by, with each other, whether that's like sitting next to each other at dinner or dancing together or whatever like you know, these are these are thinly veiled, like speed dating well, yeah, games. I guess. I, oh, yeah, you can't just let them go wander the garden. No, no, because no, that no. would be, be inappropriate. Yeah, but you can have like whisper time at the dinner table. Yeah, because I, I mean that's that's a big thing about this book is like everybody's all hung up on class and and you know what's proper for for a given situation and elizabeth doesn't always do what's proper and that rankles people sometimes what do you how do you think the book comes down on that then not not to waylay you too far from the plot but like 
when the book reaches its conclusion and all the prides and prejudices have fallen away, <laughs> uh, does it come down on on in favor of these like strict class the, lines and, the, and mores or no? I mean, Darcy and Elizabeth end up together. Okay, after after the in entire spite of book. this, yeah, like well, um, the book comes down on on their side, but they both have to change a little bit. So um the you know right in the middle of the book the the crux of their relationship you know everything begins to turn from them sort of disdaining each other like Darcy despite her you know low lower classness has developed feelings for her Bennett Elizabeth. yeah for for Elizabeth and so he comes to a house that she's staying in and proposes marriage to her like you know she she's there alone like everybody else has gone somewhere else to socialize and she stayed behind and so he comes in and proposes to her and she is like she cannot imagine a more ridiculous situation hmm. because he you know he's been prideful and he's looked down at her and he is wrong to this guy wickham and like there's just all this like she can't imagine ever loving this guy or ever wanting to to be in a relationship so he the next day gives her a letter which explains in great detail like his his thought process and every like like one thing that she accuses him of is um separating her sister jane from bingley because um you know, Jane is pining over him and, and, you know, Bingley was clearly into her and, um, Darcy thought that Jane seemed like insincere or not as into Bingley as Bingley was into her. Well, yeah. And, he and so Darcy, Darcy drives them apart a, a little bit, like out of interest for his friend, but without really stopping to consider whether, whether his assumption was correct or not. Come on, Darcy. So he explains that, and then he explains, well, this guy Wickham, like, he took a lot of money from me under the pretense of studying law, Ooh. and he's a shyster, and he's not a great guy. And then Elizabeth thinks back over all her interactions with him, and, you know, the stories line up well enough, and she starts to think of their conversations in a, you know from a different angle you're describing it like the sixth sense like she just had a moment and realized that he was dead the whole it's, time no well no i mean it's just it's kind of an epiphany that she okay. has she uh here's the i'm gonna read you the passage please do uh she grew absolutely ashamed of herself of neither darcy nor wickham could she think without feeling she had been blind partial prejudiced absurd how despicably how despicably i have acted she cried i who have prided myself on my discernment I, who have valued myself on my abilities, who have often disdained the generous candor of my sister and gratified my vanity in useless or blamable mistrust. So, prided myself so, on my discernment seems really important, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, that comes through a little bit in her rejection of, of Collins, right? Like, I don't like you that much. I'm only 21. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait this one out. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yes. And if she's like quick-witted and sarcastic about people, I think that kind of falls under that too, right? Where it's like, well, this person's kind of a doofus, and that, yeah, okay, you say so, Wickham. You know, yeah. I'm done with you. <laughs> um, and that can obviously come back and 
it's like a less pointed version of of uh, Emma, um, which is from you know from the book Emma by Jane Austen. Oh yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> where she seems she has a similar moment of self of self realization of, you know, this is the type of person I was, and it it led me to treat a bunch of people who I care about in in negative fashion and, and stunted my personal growth. Yeah, I need to kind of change that. And so um, this this like interaction between the two of them, the the argument that follows his proposal and then his deliverance of the letter to her is is a turning point for both of them. Like the book, the original title of the book was First Impressions. And, I, you know, it's because they formed these, of course, these opinions about each other, but they didn't really know each other very well, which is which happens a ton in the book. Like people are judged very superficially and like the you know your community's opinion of you has everything to do with everything like when Lydia has run off and she's not you know she's run off with a guy who she's not married to not only is it a bad deal for Lydia but you know to have a daughter who has done this ruins the chances of all the other daughters to get good husbands oh well it's because not a the very family big is, town right yeah 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 like everybody knows everybody everybody's always gossiping about everybody like the the book refers to the like the neighborhood i guess as a as an entity sometimes oh. like like wickham was generally well considered by everybody and then you know as quickly as it formed a good opinion of him, it turns around and says, well, I guess he does owe everybody money and he kind of sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, let's yeah. reject him and shun him. Yeah. So they, they both, um, they both kind of come to realize the ways in which they've been unfair to each other. And so they have a, they have a period of a while where they don't see each other. And then Elizabeth is married, is, um, is visiting her aunt and uncle who she, you know, she likes very much. And her aunt in particular is a, a straight shooter or somebody who can, she, who she can talk honestly with. And, you know, those, those characters are important in this book to Elizabeth. Like the, the people she can be totally honest with are Jane and her aunt. Okay. And so all their, all the important relationships. Yeah. Like all the, all the conversations that those characters have with each other are usually of some, you know, significant import to the plot. Do you think that, she can oh, be honest with those characters because she really doesn't have anything to lose or gain from them in any conversation. I think she just she feels close to them and she like values their input and they and they sort of understand each other. Like like Lydia is always thinking about getting married and and Mrs. Bennett is always thinking about marrying off all of her daughters and <laughs> and like these. There are people in this family who think of other stuff. And those are the people who Elizabeth can relate to. Okay, fair enough. Um, so they are visiting and they go to um, the estate of Pemberley, which is a place that's owned by Mr. Darcy. Like, that's his estate. Sounds like a cookie I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. Um, and he, you know, Darcy wasn't even supposed to be there, but they run into him anyway. And he is so, like... He's so nice to her aunt and uncle where he had sort of he had said in a letter that he found many of her relations to be kind of silly. Like, you know, her her mom's her mom's silly. Her sister, her younger sisters are silly. Her dad is is not a bad guy, but he does so little to curtail any of them that 
that that speaks poorly. So screw him. him. <laughs> yeah, so he's like really nice to her and really nice to them. And, you know, her feelings, which had already been kind of muddied by the by the letter, start to turn toward, you know, loving him. And right. then by the and then by the end they you know, they have a talk about how they changed each other a little bit and then they get married and everybody's happy. All right. Like first first Elizabeth has to inform her family that this guy who she'd been bad mouthing like incessantly for for months was actually a good guy once you got to know him. <laughs> and and then after that everybody's happy for her. Like the opposite has, of a Wickham. Yeah, she has she has separate conversations with Jane and her father both about like this this long transitional period where she where she came to feel differently about Darcy. And then she talks to her mom about him and and her mom who hated him before and had been turning his turning her nose down to him at every occasion is like, "Man, he makes a lot of money, doesn't he? That's great." Come on, mom. I do not like Mrs. Bennett at all. She's ridiculous. <laughs> there's a good, let me see if I can find it quickly, but there's a really good, um, there's a really good line about the way that Mr. Bennett feels about Mrs. Bennett. Oh no. Um, Does he call her silly? Well, I want to come back to why you want to, why you call everyone silly. I mean, he thinks that she's, I think everybody is just like so many of the people in this book are just worried about dumb stuff and they like approach everything in but like why this, do you, this but superficial why, way, I guess. Why would they be so concerned with that? I, mean, I think it's, it's partly the society that they're in, right? Like obviously being married is, is important on, on a lot of levels and some people take that more seriously than other people, I guess. Yeah. I'm interested in the, you know. No, and I'm not the first person to be interested in this. I'm sure, as people go to like school just to study Jane Austen all the time, like as someone who did not get married and rejected that one dude a day after she said yes to him, what to make of a woman whose books are concerned with characters that are concerned with this, and you know, setting these characters up and then knocking them down and then still perhaps having them get married anyway. That's an interesting. I don't know. That's curious to me. Yeah, and I'm and I recognize that I am having one of those moments where I, I have an idea that somebody's already had. So I'm just gonna. <laughs> but just it gonna, sounds like appropriately profound. So. Well, it's it's just because I haven't given it much thought. But um, that I I still want to do more reading about Austin in the context of of her time and and how she might be subversive and and why because i think that gives these books some some staying power to me anyway yeah well i mean i think people like them still because you know even even though attitudes toward marriage have changed a lot it's still i don't know there's still something relatable about the way that they that darcy and elizabeth clash with with each other and then come to appreciate each other and don't totally change but change just enough for it to be like really believable fair oh that's fair yeah Yeah, like they bring out the best i guess in each other in a way that i think the best couples tend to sound like you're toasting them right now i don't like maybe they are getting married (laughs) (laughs) i've been friends with fitzwilliam for 
Fitzy, I call him. Fitzy for a week now. Uh, I met him last week when I started reading Pride and Prejudice. He was one of my oldest friends. <laughs> we danced twice at a ball. <laughs> it was a little racy, uh, me and Fitzy dancing at the ball. Did you find this quote yet? No, I'm still looking. Okay, great. I, I mean, I can convey the gist of it, but the wording, the wording of this specific quote I liked so much. I was really moved uh, by Fitzy when he told me how much of a dum-dum my dad was because I was feeling the same way at the time. And we became fast friends, fast friends forever, me and Fitzy. <laughs> here, here, Mazel tov. I can't find it. Ba- basically, <laughs> the um, thank you for vamping for so long. Um, the the gist of it is basically that that once Mr. Bennett had gotten married to Mrs. Bennett, she so quickly revealed herself to be sort of a ninny hammer. A ninny I wish I could, hammer? I wish I could say cusses on this show sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> she so quickly revealed herself to just be a deeply silly woman that he lost all affection for her. So you're really just using silly because you are not allowed to curse. Is that really why you keep... It, it, silly is said a couple times in this book. Okay, but and and but I had I had come to silly to describe so many of these characters like well before I actually saw it in the book. Okay, yeah. Did you enjoy so, the book though? You had a good time. It it took me. I would say it took me like the first fifth of it to really get into the language because I mean there are a lot of big blocks of text. It's not always clear who is speaking when two characters are speaking. Like you're just trusted to know that the you're trusted to keep track of who is talking across like the um the different paragraph indents. Yeah, cuz it's she doesn't care about doing he said she said all the time. Yeah, because, because you know that would be half the book if she wrote that for everything. Are you always over Elizabeth's shoulder? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, um, sometimes the closest you get to being in another character's head is when you're reading letters from them, which is it doesn't happen a ton, but when it does happen, it's usually important in some way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because at this point, she's full on into the like free, indirect dialogue or whatever. It's, is that what it's called? I don't know. Um, it's the device that allows her to kind of go in and out of uh, people's free, indirect discourse or free, indirect speech. Yeah, it's when she's going in and out of characters' heads without like putting it in quotes or saying, like, Elizabeth thought... Yeah, like, like she thinks something to herself on occasion, but yeah, normally, um, n- yeah, normally it, the book is mostly just people talking to each other and they, I mean, they all take a while to get around to the things that they're saying <laughs> and it's not, it's not appropriate when Mrs. Bennett is being an idiot for Elizabeth to turn to her and be like, shut up, mom. Like you just kind of have to grin and bear it. Or if you can't do that, leave the room. <laughs> yeah, that seems fair. That seems like an age old practice. See, I, d- I did, I did enjoy it. Like by the time I, by the time I was 20% of the way in, I was starting to get into the language and get a feel for it. And like, it became easier to read. And then by the time I was halfway through, like they had finished all the table setting and introducing everybody and they were just into the plot. So once, once, once we were in there, it picked up a little bit and I, you know, it increased my enjoyment of it. Well, and she seems to endure on the strength of her characters as well. People are, people are really happy to 
pour over these characters for years and years and write fan fiction or do whatever they want to do with them. Yeah. So I'm sure that that helps. <laughs> uh, if you wanted to write in to us about your favorite Jane Austen character. Or if you wanted to write overdue fan fiction. Uh, you could, uh, I guess, <laughs> Not, email please, it. Please no slash fic. Email it to overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet your self-published uh, Jane Austen fiction to us at twitter.com slash overdue pod. Or you can blow up our Facebook page with it uh, at facebook.com slash overdue pod. I want to give a shout out to uh, Jason and well, a specific shout out to Jason because he's been he's been posting all sorts of stuff to the wall lately. You should check out a lot of the cool links that I kind of wish we'd put out there. Yeah, it's um, cool to have a dedicated link aggregator. Though. Yeah, like stuff about Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, more James Baldwin stuff, stuff about uh, some pretty goofy reviews of children's books. Uh, Eric and Dennis also gave us shout-outs on the page, so I want to thank them. And then we got a bunch of new followers in the past couple weeks uh, on various social media. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we're yeah. really happy to have you along. We hope we don't chase you away with our like our flippant Jane Austen analysis, I guess. Well, if they wanted to... If they were turned off by Jane Austen but still want to listen to our dulcet tones, where should they go, Andrew? I mean, we do have an internet website at www.overduepodcast.com. Um, up there, we have an RSS feed or uh, an iTunes link that you can use to subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe in iTunes, uh, do rate and review us. We haven't gotten a new one in a while. I'm feeling kind of down about it. So why don't you make my day and rate and or review us because it only takes a second and it makes us feel great, and it also helps the show rise up in the rankings and helps people find it. I don't um, know how I, people are finding. Please let us know how you're finding us. There's some new yeah, people I, we get. I a think lot. there have been there how. have been some people that are like word of mouth. Like I've seen us like on Twitter a couple times. People will say like, "It's pretty oh, cool. here my favorite book podcasts," and I assume they found us through like Book Riot or something, and they're just spreading out. But we really appreciate still, that. Yeah, people are still finding us. It's great. Um, we have all the books that we have read. Um, the next couple of books that we're going to read are up there usually. And um, accompanying all those are also Amazon links that you can click to uh, support the site. If you click through those and buy the books or buy anything, we get a little cut of that. And um, and that helps defray our hosting costs and stuff. So So we appreciate that too. I think that's it, right? What are you reading next week? Uh, I am about a third of the way through... Uh, Philip Roth's Portnoy's Complaint, and I have no idea how I'm going to talk about some of the d- dumb, nasty, dirty stuff in that book without <laughs> without cussing. So I think even a cursory read of the summary would have warned you about that. But Well, I yeah, knew like, what the book was about, but I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might do um, what we did for the Fifty Shades of Grey episode, which was episode 50 and a lot get of it? positive comments that we, yeah, get it. A lot of the positive comments we get mention that one specifically. So uh, we'll probably just have a little disclaimer that the language might get a little more body than usual. It might yeah. get a little blue. Some tavern talk. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, prepare yourselves for that, I guess. And uh, until then, uh, try to be happy. Thank you.